This is Baldy's Breakdowns, the podcast with NFL insiders Brian Baldinger and Jason LaConfora, an Odyssey Sports original. Welcome to the latest edition of Baldy's Breakdowns. Here, as always, courtesy of our friends at Odyssey, I am Jason LaConfora at Jason LaConfora. I have the pleasure, as always, this week to be joined by my main man, Brian Baldinger at Baldy NFL. And we are in the process of breaking down the entire league this late offseason now, getting, creeping towards training camp and doing it one division at a time. Uh, We were in the AFC West last week. We go down south this week to the AFC South and and the big news in, in this division. And we will go team by team. But the big news in this division most recently was Julio Jones going from Atlanta to Nashville hooking up with A.J. Brown and Ryan Tannehill and, and and what has already been one of the game's best play-action deep passing game um, where they've got a running back who, who, who could go for 2K any given year if they feed him enough, and boy, do they feed him. Uh, certainly makes the Titans a more in, intriguing team than they were, you know, six weeks ago. Uh, how much does Julio left have left in the tank? What kind of an impact can he make? Will it be enough to offset some of their, at least on paper, issues on defense? Uh, Baldy, the Tennessee Titans, uh, pretty pretty interesting team. Have been for a while, um, but I, I thought that adding Julio was essential because I, I got to admit I wasn't in love with their offseason prior to that when you're talking about Corey Davis leaving and John o. Smith leaving, um, uh, some issues defensively, and, and even the offensive line, maybe not quite what it was a couple years ago. Boy, I, I think... Julio might be just what they needed at just the right time. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think it's a great fit. First of all, their number one wide receiver, A.J. Brown, was completely on board with bringing Julio Jones in. And so, I mean, you know, you never want to, you know, bring a star player in to usurp the talent or the abilities of another player sometimes because I I don't know that you can really – I don't think that you necessarily have to have two number one wide receivers, but that's what they are. But, you know, they run a lot of two-receiver routes off play action. The workhorse is Derrick Henry. He's coming off a 2,000-yard season. And I guess the, the guy nobody really talks about, when even when we talk about the A.J. Uh, or AJ Brown and, and what Julio can bring at wide receiver, is how well Ryan Tannehill has played in a year and a half. I mean, he threw 33 touchdown passes last year, Jason. He had seven interceptions. That ratio was outrageously good. And he can extend plays. He can run the ball. He was their second leading rusher a year ago. Ran for seven touchdowns. He accounted for 40 touchdowns last year in an offense that seemed awfully conservative. Yes. Uh, Tannehill is the key to this whole thing. And when he gets his third down throws because, you know, Derek Henry has put him up third and three, um, you know, he's got to convert it. And they converted at a pretty good rate last year, over 45%. On third downs, this is this this can be even a better offense than it was a year ago. And I think Julio Jones has said that. Look, no knock on Atlanta, but since their their Super Bowl appearance, it's been dreadful. And it you know you're a player that's getting into the twilight of your career. Like you want a chance to win, and that's what Tennessee has been doing. They've been winning a lot, and so in getting to the postseason. And I think it Julio Jones will find this offense 
just perfect for his skill set, which is basically can pulverize any corner in this business, um, man-to-man, can still run by most defenses in this league when the time calls for it. But his there's the Julio Jones route tree that most receivers can't begin to try right. to execute. And, and so it's it's a great fit. It's just a great fit. Baldy, we spend most of our time talking about players in this league and, and for good reason, but um, I, I do feel like the Titans have suffered from some brain drain in the past. When Dean Pease left, you saw a defense yep. that didn't have um, a ton of blue chip players really kind of regress more. I love the work that Arthur Smith did there. doesn't mean Arthur Smith's going to be a great head coach in Atlanta. I don't, I don't know about all that. Um, I understand why he was hired. I love what he did in 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 Nashville, but he's gone now as well. Do you have any concern about filling those shoes on each side of the ball? I do, I do, because it sure seemed like Ryan Tannehill really bought in to what Arthur Smith was putting together in a game plan every week. And really, I've always said, uh, going back to when I played in Dallas and we we kept losing the Mike Ditkas and, you know, good coaches along the way, that it's harder to replace good coaches than it is good players. And so we got to see. We got to see if Arthur Smith can be replaced. Um, He's very, very bright. Um, He has a real command of the game, and it showed. It showed with the way Tannehill played and the way the game was called and how they, you know, they knew and know where their bread is buttered in Tennessee, and they don't get away from smashing Derrick yeah. Henry at you. And there's a lot of coaches in this league that will look at analytics and the passing game and saying, well, we can win 11 games when we're not getting to a Super Bowl this way. And they'll they'll, de- they'll depart from Derrick Henry, you know, rushing for, you know, 400 carries or 375 carries, whatever it was last year. But, but Arthur Smith really stayed true. And so he was a big part of – Stop this running back by committee in Tennessee. Like Derrick Henry is our every down back. And that really started like it hasn't always been that way. Right. They would take him off the field for stretches and series. And they stopped doing that under Arthur Smith. So I um I I've, I've got to kind of wait and see. And, and I'm with you. You call it a brain drain. It you lose good coaches, you you lose a lot in this business. Along the lines of what you were just saying about turning Derrick Henry into a three down or at least maybe a two and a half down um, sledgehammer. This league, the history of this league would tell you when guys carry the kind of load he's carried that at some point it's there and then it's not there, Baldy. It's Mm -hmm. not a gradual decline. It's not a 2000 yard back to a, you know, 1800 yard back to a 1200 yard back. To out of the league, it's like he's not employed any. You know what I mean? Like it's over. Yeah. Like Clinton Portis, you know, like you hit a wall. Um, you know, no, Larry no, Johnson. No, no, no. You know what I mean? Larry Johnson in Kansas City. Like you go from top of the heap to yeah, we'll uh, bring you in for we'll, we'll, you know, one million vet minimum. We'll see if you can Jamal make our team. And, Jamal Anderson, Sean Alexander, Deuce McAllister. Yeah. There's a whole I mean, there are only two guys that I know of, Jason, off the top of my head without doing a bunch of research here. But, I mean, Emmett Smith and LaDainian Tomlinson are two guys that had high volume of carries year after year and really didn't slow down for a long time. Yeah. I mean, LT did it for eight straight years in a row where he had over 400 touches. 
Um, but the one thing I'll say about Derrick Henry, two things. One, he has not sustained any injuries the way, say, Jamal Anderson did. Right. Other guys have sustained injuries. You know, a guy like Terrell Davis towards ACL was never the same. So he has not sustained any injuries to the ankles or the knees. And because he is a superhero and built different than every other back that carries the football in this league, he doesn't take a lot of body shots um, or shots to the legs. I mean, his, his ability just to keep defenders at an arm's length is just, I mean, it's, it's a separate defensive skill that he has that not many backs have. He's not just taking those constant shots to the body. And that's the one thing I'd say in his favor is that the no injuries and really his body tight doesn't allow guys to really just, you know, pepper him with these body shots the way a Clinton Portis took shots, for example. Yeah. Um, well, well, certainly the, the Titans, I, I think we both think, are, are a viable potential playoff team. They've been good for nine or ten wins most years under Mike Vrabel. And, and I, I believe they'll at least be near the, the top of the heap in that division. And I think the team that they'll be um, competing with for most heavily for the division title is the Indianapolis Colts, who prior to the arrival of Julio Jones to that division, you could say the Colts probably made the, the biggest splash by throwing Carson Wentz a lifeline and hoping that a reunion with Frank Wright can get Carson Wentz closer to his MVP form, certainly at least. Um, far away from his 2020 form that, that I think saw him collapse Baldy both personally and professionally. And and I thought that Carson Wentz had a makeup to where he would have handled the adversity he experienced last year and, and um, maybe a, a, a better, uh, more team-friendly, more holistic manner than he did. But regardless, he now finds himself kind of picking up the pieces all of a sudden. And, and hoping that a reunion with a coach he knows and a, and a scheme that he knows will bring out the best in him. Do you, do you, are you buying that? What, what do you, who do you think the real Carson Wentz is? Well, I don't know that I've ever seen a regression at a position the way we've seen from Carson Wentz. Uh, it, it, I mean, the, the personality part of it, it was just bizarre to just not talk to people. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, to blow off exit meetings, you know, and you know just blow your whole team off. Oh, it, 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 everybody. I mean, he didn't talk to Jalen Hurts. He didn't talk to Doug Peterson. I mean, he just stopped talking to people. Like, I've never seen anything like it. Um, meanwhile, his play was awful. I mean, yeah. just awful. Uh, mechanically, I talked to quarterbacks that are wear gold jackets. Right. On a regular basis. And when they tell me like you your mechanics are as bad as you can have in the way Carson Wentz couldn't th- he couldn't complete a swing pass to a back. I mean, there wasn't anything Doug Peterson could draw up where you could build confidence. Now, can that confidence just be restored because he's going to play behind a very good offensive line with a real run base scheme and a real young stud and you know Jamar Taylor? Yeah. You know, right now at the running back position, which um, is Jonathan Taylor, which is just, yeah, you know, I mean, the guy was just phenomenal the second half of the season last yes, he year. Was. So, uh, you know, and, and can you build re- relationship with T.Y. Hilton and Michael Pittman Jr. and Paris Campbell? 
because he couldn't do it with the receivers in Philadelphia. Now, um, he was sacked 50 times in 12 starts. Pretty high number. He was yeah. sacked eight times, hit 13, 13 uh, times in this opening loss to the Washington football team last year, and it seemed like it was downhill from there. Yep. Um, but he threw those interceptions. He um, was awful in decision-making. And I'm not sold that you can just, okay, I like Frank Reich, I want to play for Frank, that you could just go back there and just regain the form. Because he lost it awfully quickly. Can you just regain it as quickly? I, I'm holding my breath. I'm pulling form. But his behavior was bizarre. And so is you got to think that's inside of him. Now, I expect him to talk to Quentin Nelson and to T.Y. Hilton and to Frank Reich and the staff, but that's there. That's That that side of him is there if things go sideways. Yeah, I, I do think his biggest crutch or, or, or his biggest safety net is going to be what you just alluded to, though. You look at the any rushing metric the last half of the season and three teams keep popping up in it. Baltimore, Tennessee, and Indianapolis in yep. some order. Yards per carry, yards mm-hmm. per carry on first down, yards per carry against eight-man boxes, uh, yards per carry running out of two tight end schemes, yards per carry running out of three wide receiver or more personnel groupings. Um, that offensive line, I, I know they lost Costanzo, but that's that's still a pretty good offensive line, I think. Um, the running back really came into his own in the second half. They've got other guys who can help in the horizontal mm-hmm. pass game, in the screen game. Um, I think Pittman Jr. is somebody who's got a lot of yak in him, the way they were deploying him mm-hmm. last year, and, and maybe now with a more mobile quarterback who can move the spot around and let you get a little um, – a, uh, a little cuter um, from where you, you launched the ball from. I, I, I do feel like he's got pieces around him that, that should allow him if he's able to do this ball, we don't, if he's able to stay within himself and realize I just got to be a point guard and not a three point, like I just got to facilitate. I don't have to be Steph Curry. The defense, maybe, maybe it works. I agree. I agree. Um, look, I, I was with Frank. Uh, and Chris Ballard last year at this uh, high school football camp in Indianapolis. And Frank and myself were talking to the kids. And Frank, you know, really explained his philosophy. You know, he he was a backup in Buffalo for a long time when they had Thurman Thomas and the K-Gun offense, and they ran the heck out of the football then. And that's what Frank wants to do. He wants to run. He runs it in a variety of ways. Um, He's always going to have three tight ends active every game. Uh, he does a lot out of the tight end sets. He did that in Philadelphia. That seemed to help uh, Carson Wentz a great deal, um, those type of formations. Uh, but he want, he is committed to running the football. And, you know, even a guy like Phillip Rivers, who was, you know, the stopgap there, of course, a year ago. I mean, Phillip would always and routinely, you know, audible out of run plays to, to, to throw the football when he was with the Chargers. But they – that was pretty much prohibited in Indianapolis. And so he had to learn to play a different way. They're, they're going to have a quarterback that's a lot more mobile, obviously, than Jacoby Brissett or Phillip Rivers, more along the lines of Andrew Luck. So I think there'll be some some runs. I think there'll be some escapes. There'll be some ways to extend plays that I think they couldn't do the last couple of seasons. If Carson gets 
back to anywhere close to what he was in the middle of 2017, this is going to be a good race between Indianapolis and Tennessee because defensively, they're a very solid group. They they struck gold with yes. Julian Blackman, their strong safety last year. Um, Curry Willis, I mean, they they really hit well there. The defensive front is loaded um, with DeForest Buckner just being a complete beast inside. So there's there's a lot to like about Indianapolis, but it does ride on the right arm of Carson Wentz. And for him to, as quickly as he just kind of froze everybody out in Philly, if he warms up just as quickly in Indianapolis to a place, really the only place he wanted to go to. Yeah. Um, because there were other places, Chicago, there were other places out there. He wanted to go to Indy. He got his wish. If he returns to form, this could be a good football team. I do wonder. It's a little different scenario um, because in, in, in Wentz's case, he's changing locations. And, it, excuse me, in the case of Baker Mayfield a year ago, he stayed the same, but, you know, in the same place, but a new coaching staff came in. I, I do wonder if, if if this does work, if it's if it's a little bit like, what where you know where Baker went from from year two to year three, right? They 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 mm-hmm. they had the right pieces around them. They they got some of the hero ball out of them, right? Mm-hmm. They put him in positions to maybe read half the field yeah. and have different looks, different body types, different targets, and different quadrants of the field. And they ran the hell out of the football. I I, I do wonder if this works. If it has some overtones to the, the progress that was made with Baker Mayfield a year ago in Cleveland. That's a, a, probably a bad a comparison because, um, you know, Baker was – but the team was horrible uh, the year prior. You know, you just didn't have the right guy. But so was this Eagles team last year, right? No, you know what I mean? Like 4-11-1, they had to own it. Uh, benched. He was a healthy scratch, Jason. I mean, a healthy scratch, $135 million quarterback who was a healthy scratch. Um you know, the last month of the season. That's just how bad it was. So, and there is an injury history there. There is a very strong injury history with Carson Wentz. And so, and it's been a variety of injuries uh, along the way, whether it's a, you know, a rib injury, whether it's the ACL, whether it's a back. I mean, there's been a, you know, there there was a broken wrist at North Dakota State. So there is some of that that you have to, as a player, you have to just start putting up 16-game starts year after year to make that go away. Otherwise, guys like me and other people bring it up. Like, this is a guy that has struggled to play 16. Do you do you favor the Colts or the Titans in this division? Is it a toss-up for you before we, we get to the other two teams? Well, they were both 11-5 and five a year ago for whatever that's worth. Um, there's stability within the organizations. Uh, the Colts also lost uh, – you know, a good deal of their staff this year. Yeah. Uh, Nick Sirianni, obviously, yeah. and, you know, some defensive uh, coaches uh, have moved on, you know, to Philadelphia. And just the way Tennessee has, you know, lost good coaches. But that's what happens when you win games. You lose good coaches. Uh, and so, uh, but, you know, guys like Frank Reich, I think, and, you know, guys, they, they start kind of preparing for it, um, you know, in, in variety of ways, give more responsibility to younger players, knowing that this might happen. And so I think they've prepared for it. Uh, but I, I, I think it's clearly between these two teams. as uh, And I think they, they both could win 11 or 12 games this year because the other two teams in the division, I think, are real building projects. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's start in Jacksonville, um, where, 
they made arguably the biggest splash of the coaching cycle. Doesn't mean it's going to yeah. be the the best hire. Doesn't mean it's going to work out well. Doesn't mean it won't be a whole lot of money wasted. But Shad Khan already knows the drill when it comes to that. Urban Meyer and the Utah way, the Florida way, the Ohio State way now um, finds itself in 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 Jacksonville. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, obviously the no-brainer first overall pick. And some interesting talent. Uh, I think they'll be better um, than they were a year ago. I don't know that they'll be good. And I I just find myself fascinated by this this ongoing, um, not even so much the maturation, Baldy, or, or, or the progress of the organization, but just Urban Meyer himself, you know, bringing in the strength coach from Iowa, um, despite the, what went yeah. on there and racism yeah. and, and, and not treating student athletes the right way. And then he's throwing that guy, you know, a lifeline, the way he talked about free agency and it's kind of beneath him and it's a meat market. And I don't know if this is for me. It's like, well, you think this is, is this, this is, this is less humane than, than recruiting sixth graders. Like, really? I, I don't, I don't know, urban. I, I don't know. Um, it, it just kind of feels then the Tebow thing. Like it just feels like, is this really about like adopting and, 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 and taking what you do and extrapolating into grown men, some of whom make more money than you who have kids, or is it about one more of these dudes trying to prove my way could work there and I'm going to prove it to you. Those are all fair questions. Uh, fair questions. And I, I, you know, I, I want, I want urban to be successful, but I, I think he has to change as much as the culture in Jacksonville clearly has to change. Um, you can easily win at Ohio state and Florida when you simply just have more talent than everybody else. I mean, every single player, uh, offensive player seen at the skill position at Ohio State could run a four-four or better. You know, I mean, yeah. Indiana didn't present much of a of a problem for him, nor did most other uh, you know teams on the schedule. Um, that being said, he's had years to look at this situation, to think about this. You know, while he was sitting in a studio at Fox, you know, and picking the brain of Jimmy Johnson, different people that have made the jump. Um, he's he's basically got a college roster. Uh, I mean, that's what it looks like. I mean, he's got nothing but young players that aren't that far removed from graduating, you know, from, you know, school. C.J. Henderson out of yeah. Florida. You just look at D.J. Chark and LaVisca Chenault and all the guys he's got. I mean, they're all pretty much young players. The one thing I'll say that he does have to work with is I believe the offense line is pretty good. Mm. And they've got five experienced starters coming back. They all played last year. It's a pretty good group, starting with Cam Robinson at left tackle. They ran the ball very, very well last year with James Robinson, the fifth-leading rusher in the NFL. Um, on a bad team, they ran the ball well, and he was a, a real find uh, in the free agent market. And so when I look at teams like Jimmy Johnson's Dallas Cowboys, uh, even though they were 1 of 15 and 89, the seeds to their, you know, you, you know, the rise of the Phoenix there, was the offensive line. They had Gogan. They had two and a, you know, they, they had, you know, Nate Newton. They, they, I mean, they had an offensive line. Yeah. Larry Allen. Really was the foundation to what Emmett Smith became and Troy Aikman became like they could run the ball and they could protect the quarterback. 
and in some ways, I feel like, you know, Urban has that right now. I'm not comparing him to Dallas's line that back then, but this is a pretty good. This this is every bit of middle of the road offensive line, or maybe a little bit better. So, you know, I think he's got a little bit to work with there. I think he's got some skill positions to work with. He's got plenty of running backs, Baldy. He had a running back, drafted another one. Yeah, I know. It's a little bizarre, but it's okay. It's all right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he'll do it by committee, and he did that at Ohio State for the most part. Um, he knows what a, you know, one thing <laughs> I think that uh, Urban knows, he knows what a, you know, a, a running back is supposed to look like, you know. And so J.K. Dobbins, I mean, Zeke Elliott. Yeah. Go through the list of guys that he's had. He kind of knows what they're supposed to look like and how they move. So I, I, I don't, I don't discount, you know, taking Travis right there at the end of that first round. And look, I mean, there's not a single analyst out there that doesn't believe the quarterback doesn't have everything it takes yep. to be super successful at this step. I mean, he's he he's he's took over the starting job at Cartersville High School in the spring of his eighth grade and started 54 straight games before, you know, in high school and two state championships, all he's done is succeeded at the very next level. And I expect he's going to do the same thing here. I understand the Tebow move from a business standpoint and a pleasing your owner standpoint, selling jerseys, selling tickets, selling hoopla, getting national attention, having jamokes like us talk about you in June when they normally wouldn't be. But as someone who played the game at the highest level, understands locker rooms, understands the tenuous um, situation that's going on there um, between coaches and locker room, between Tom Coughlin and locker room, between Dave Caldwell and locker room, between Shad Khan and locker room, the Jalen Ramsey stuff, you know, Calais Campbell, just get me out of here. You know, and Gakwe leaving $6 million on the table just to get the bleep out of there. And, and now Urban's coming in doing this stuff and, and bringing in who a lot of people would say is just his locker room spy in Tim Tebow. Like, dudes aren't stupid. The guys in that locker room, most of them have been around the league longer than Urban Meyer. Is is that too cute by half? Is that juice worth the squeeze from a football standpoint, from an interpersonal I, I, dynamic standpoint? I, I don't believe it is. They, they got all the publicity that they possibly wanted when Trevor Lawrence, you know, basically fell in their lap. I mean, what more do you want than the number one consensus overall pick to build your team around? What is a 30-plus, you know, old athlete trying to learn a new position? I don't care what type of personality or character he has. It's only going to be effective if he can get on the field. And how much can he actually get on the field? I mean, the Jets went through this five years ago. Um and so, and, and he couldn't get on the field. No nope. Patriots went through this. They are all looking for some of the same things that Urban Meyer is looking for, except they're doing it at a rate that really doesn't make, you know, at an age that doesn't make any sense. Right. Um, you, you can't get any more publicity than Urban Meyer and Trevor Lawrence right. coming in together. Like, what more could you possibly want? This guy was coaching, you know, an hour away at the University of Florida winning a national championship. I mean, there's, you know, I mean, you can't get any. What more do you want? You know, at, at yeah. some point, you just actually don't want anybody talking about you. You just want to go to work. Well, win. That's what I'm saying. Like, I, yeah. I, I, and I, I really, it. it's, you know, like, I, but I don't want to sit here and, and trash Urban, you know, uh, you know, the, the player. Um, but it is a, just a bizarre, 
bizarre signing. Um, if you wanted to bring him on board to work in the front office, you know, to be or as a, a coach or whatever. Coach, yeah. A, a character coach, right, Baldy? A de- player development coach, yeah. a character I mean, coach. There's a, million, there, there's a million positions that you could put, um, you know, this individual at that could serve a, a pretty good role. And there, you could see some bang for your buck, but not giving him an 80 number and having go try to learn how to play tight end. I, I, you know, I think there's a lot of other ways yeah. that you could have served him a little bit better. Yeah. Well, we have yet to touch on the Houston Texans, so no better time than the present. The Deshaun Watson saga, um, I think, blindsided a lot of people around the league and certainly people in Houston. As we speak, that has yet to be uh, adjudicated through the court of law, through the civil uh justice system through the league's uh, internal investigation, through the Texans' investigation. Uh, Regardless of how that's resolved from a disciplinary standpoint, I think Deshaun Watson's played his last game in Houston, whether that means he's suspended on an exempt list or traded. I I just don't see him back under center for them ever again. And I would have said that and did say that before all these allegations came out. Yeah. it's not a good team. It's a it's a really bad team, Baldy. It's a bad roster. It's a bad cap situation. It's a head coach who at 65 has never done it before. It's a GM who comes from the New England thing where, let's face it, that most guys who've left that place have struggled, um, certainly more have struggled than have succeeded. I don't know any way you can paint a, a rosy picture about this team. I mean, hell, they were one of the worst teams in the league last year, but didn't have the pick that they should have got for being that bad because they went to Miami. Yeah. Well, we haven't mentioned the new head coach, David Culley. And everybody that has been around David Culley respects David Culley. Absolutely. As a long-term position coach, mostly wide receiver, in a number of stops around the league, um, the guy always had a smile on his face, was a positive guy. But honestly, who thinks that David Cully, after all those years of being a position coach, is ready to, to be this to be the head coach on a team that has to start from scratch because they're they're not gonna retain the services of their quarterback in Deshaun Watson. Nope. That the team was built around. He had his best season ever last year. And they could only win, you know, less than a handful of games. Um, it, it It's hard to believe that Nick Casario would get this opportunity to be a general manager. And this would be the coach that he would pick. Like, it just, I mean. I, it I almost think, feels like a placeholder, Bald. It almost feels like they couldn't do what they really wanted to do this year for myriad reasons. And so we're going to hire someone to just kind of get us through this year. And then we'll regroup in January and see if that's really the guy we want. Well, but but that's you know, if you can survive, what might be a, just a disaster. I mean, I, they, they won't be favored in one game they play this year. No, not one. And so, um, I, I don't even know where to begin, except that you have to start at the very top at the general manager, the coach, and the quarterback, and you and you question all of them. Yes, all the decisions. And then if you go to the draft where they had no first or second round pick, and Davis Mills is your first pick of the 2020 draft, um, you know, a serviceable starter from Stanford, and he's your first pick. Yeah. 
like that was a head scratcher to everybody, yeah. everybody that this is who you're going to take and try to develop. I, you know, the, the draft was bizarre. The coaching hire was bizarre. Um, and I don't blame before any of the allegations came out for Deshaun Watson wanting to get out of there because yeah. he's in a very prime of his career. And I, you know, I'm old enough to have played in a pre-free agent, you know, world, uh, Jason, and there was nothing worse than being just oh, stuck yeah. in your career. Right. You you're know, tethered. You're tethered to this albatross. Yeah. Yes. And and you just you're looking around going, I would give anything just to be in a winning organization. And I think that Deshaun Watson has just watched this thing, whether it's you know the the, the bizarre trades that they have made, a head coach having way too much responsibility and becoming a general manager, and he just He's on the pulse of the team watching this whole thing just get driven into the ground, which it is, and and one bad decision after another, and he goes, just get me out of here. I don't care where I go. I'll go anywhere. I know I can play, but I don't want to spend my you know my prime years in this organization, and I don't blame them for wanting to get out. No, that they are a colossal mess. Uh, they're years away from even being functional, Baldy. They're, they're years away from even being. I hate being an NFL franchise. You know, like I, they're so well, in the can, abyss right now. Let me ask now. you this, Jason. Like, you have done this for a long time covering the yeah. NFL. I, I mean, I can't think of a comparable situation where, I mean, I, I mean, we've seen a lot of bad organizations, teams that win a game or two games. And, you know, but they have that because the way that the league is set up, you know, you go, you know, the Cowboys can go get Troy Aikman and, and, build, and turn it around. You know, we have seen turnaround. We've seen the three and thirteen Atlanta Falcons with Matt Ryan and Mike Smith, and you know, a, you know, a new front office turn things around, and become winners. We have seen that, um, you know, over the course of history. But we haven't seen a bad team get worse and no ability to turn it around. And your star player won out. It, it reminds me a little bit of the Browns when they went winless and then like brought the band back you know what i mean yeah, it, yeah, it yeah. feels it it feels as dysfunctional as that where you're like what are they seeing that we don't like it feels like a parallel universe you know what i mean where yeah. it's like clearly this owner is just out there right he's he's going to do what he wants to do regardless of any amount of empirical evidence to the contrary it, it kind of it kind of feels like that and and that was it, it took the browns years to get to sort of dig out of that that self created mess and and this this feels the no, same but, way but, but, and, and, you know as bad as Cleveland was and they were horrendous I mean over sixteen you can't get any worse but they still were able to get Baker Mayfield and Miles Garrett and you know build pieces that this team is built around you know Nick Chubb I mean they were able to get really good pieces they 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 blew a lot you know along the way but they still have like real foundational big pillars that this foundation is built on, on that football team that Kevin Stefanski molded last year. I got that. You don't have that right now in Houston. No, no, you don't. And I don't think you're going to have it for a while. And it starts at the top and um, ownership has been an issue there for a long time. And, and uh, I'm sorry, Texans fans, but even in that division, that is probably one of the weaker in the NFL. I just don't think the Texans are anywhere close to competing. Um, 
we will be back with you guys next week as we continue to go division by division, um, sorting out all 32 teams in the NFL to get you ready for training camp. As always, please give us your feedback on Twitter at Jason Lockin4 or at Baldy NFL and um, rate, review, uh, give us feedback on uh, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you guys download us and certainly subscribe as well. Um, Baldy, I'm I'm looking forward to a little bit of beach time. You're probably looking forward to a little bit of beach time, yeah. but that will never, Baldy, never preclude us from continuing our NFL dialogue. I look forward to chatting with you again next week, brother. Well, I do too, Jason. And you know, one thing that I think this exercise is really good at is it, you know, it keeps everything fresh in our minds about what's happened over the last five months. Yeah. And it's it, it's it's like a remedial homework assignment. Yep. And it's just because we are a month away now from kind of going to training camp and putting all these new pieces together, Urban Meyer, Jacksonville, et cetera, et cetera, Carson Wentz in Indianapolis and, you know, and Julio Jones in Tennessee. And, and really, you know, the foundation is those dog days of July and August and the foundation that you can build. And so really leading up to it, everybody's had their off season, coaching changes, player movement, free agency, the draft. And so I, I think it's just a good assignment. Yeah. That we get, yeah. uh, you know, I, I feel fortunate we get a chance to do this in this format to kind of keep things fresh as we get ready for the start in about a month. Absolutely. I, yeah. I agree completely. It kind of reminds me of my summer reading and the stuff you had to do. Like you'd get your like a uh, little booklet to your refresher from last year to get you ready, you know, going from yep. fourth grade, fifth grade or whatever. Um, I'm right there with you. Well, have a wonderful week. We thank you guys for listening and we will check back in with you next week.